Welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Kulmahe. I have worked in the leadership space for three decades, and now I work with organizations and leaders to develop powerful cultures of high value and performance that is built all around their people. We will interview leaders from around the world and at the very top end of their game to explore what emotional intelligence in practice actually looks like and the benefits that it could bring to any team. This is a movement to transform the way that we see leadership and to create powerful cultures where people feel seen, heard, valued and appreciated and consequently perform to the very best. Why don't you join the movement and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to click on notifications to stay up to date with all new content. Welcome to another episode of the Human Centered Leadership Podcast. And today I am talking to a, a very interesting individual. We only met very, very briefly. I'll explain a bit about that in a very short while. Uh, Human Centered Leadership Podcast is merely a podcast where we are celebrating what it is to have emotional intelligence in practice in your organization, in your culture and in your leadership style. And the value that that brings out in the individuals around you and the relationships that you build within your organization and within your circles, to be quite frank. Today's guest is somebody, as I say, who I met very briefly. We had a brief conversation, but I knew straight away when I decided I was going to do these podcasts, uh, I knew straight away that I had to interview this gentleman. David Clark is the Vice President of Aerospace and Defense at Atkins. Atkins, if you don't know, is a global giant really in the area of engineering and project management. 50,000 employees across 50 countries. Can you just imagine the kind of cultural uh, challenges that they must have across 50 countries to get everyone working towards the same direction? I mean, that's fascinating for me. And David is also the chairman of the SAF, the branch in Worcestershire, which is an armed forces charity. So obviously he's doing an awful lot of work over there. A very busy man. So I'm very grateful that he's able to spend some time with us. David, thank you so much for being here and welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast. Cool. Brilliant to be here. Now, great to be on your podcast. And thank you very much for inviting me. Really looking forward to it. We've been trying to get this episode recorded for a long while and you are so busy. It is hard. You've been wanting to be on the podcast for a while, but your diary is just ridiculous. And I don't know how we've managed to clear some space. So I really am appreciative of this. Now, you and I met uh, when I was keynote speaking at an event in Bristol for the aerospace industry. And I remember that you came up to me and we had this amazing conversation, actually. I, I was talking about cultural change. You know, I, I believe cultural change is more important than, than, than focusing around on diversity and inclusive leadership because cultural change brings about diversity and inclusive leadership. And you sort of got where I was coming from. You've done an awful lot uh, of work in Atkins. It's a huge organization. Firstly, what does culture look like in Atkins for you across 50 countries? Well, of course, the culture is made up of the, the people that are in it, you know, the way they behave, the actions they take um, and the things they do on a day to day basis. Um, you know, we are blessed with the fact that we employ really talented, you know, professional people. Um, and actually, you know, we're, I think part of being a uh, human centric leader is about recognizing that people come to work with the best intentions. They come to work to succeed, to do well, uh, and actually that's something that we need to embrace. And I think, I think we have some of that culture in our organization um, and are very fortunate for it. 
sure, we can always do more. We can always change and look to strive to be better at the things we do. But I think we start from a kind of good bedrock of understanding that you know people are here to make a difference. Um, and how we embrace that, how we enable that as leaders, I think is is part of our challenge. I think that's such a powerful statement that you made there. It is basically recognised that most human beings go to work to do a good job. We need to have that level of belief and faith in that. Uh, there is, there is a, if I'm reminded of a, an old leadership uh, model, uh, theory X, theory Y leaders, and theory X leaders believe that uh, people are only uh, motivated by money and bonus and things that they can achieve, they, 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 can, they can acquire, whereas theory Y leaders genuinely believe that people come to work because they, they want to do a good job. Uh, and it, it is as simple as that, isn't it? What is a driving factor for people being in the organisation? Uh, there's another thing that you touched upon there. There's one word within there, which I think is so uh, powerful right now, and it's talent. And, you know, you're a specialist organisation, so you'll have an awful lot of specialist people working across the entirety of uh, Atkins. One of the biggest problems that we're experiencing in the world is this re- retention of talent. Uh, a lot of organisations around the world are experiencing massive turnovers. It's called the Great Resignation. People have, I think, recalibrated their priorities. They want to work in organisations or teams where they feel valued, seen, heard, appreciated. Uh, and if that's not happening, they will move on somewhere else. Such a loss of talent. I mean, if you can imagine, if you had that loss of talent and Atkins, the financial costs and implications for the organisation would be vast. Um, why is it so important for you, do you think, to retain that talent? We are a professional services business. At the heart, we're consultants, engineering, management, technical consultants. And the people are the lifeblood. That's how we, you know, how we earn our money. Our people go into our clients' organisations and help them solve some of their most complex projects. So they're absolutely, absolutely essential. But let me kind of pick up on some of the things that you've been saying. I think one of the reflections for me is that um, organizations are needing to evolve their kind of mission and strategy to better align with the things that are now much more dear to, to people, um, issue, the issues of the day. You know? And I'll give you some, a couple of great examples. So you know, we've already mentioned diversity and inclusion. Let me give you a, a couple more. So um, social value and sustainability. And what we find is that you know people joining our, our organization, especially young professionals, so, so passionate about these subjects. And they want to come to work to make a difference, not only in terms of your, you know, your, your bottom line and your top line and delivering financial performance, but actually in making, in some ways, making the world a better place. So I think how we align you know, the business goals, missions, and strategies around these big uh, challenges, um, you know, global challenges, that is part of how we are going to retain the talented people, you know, because they come, they generally come to work to kind of solve critical problems. Well, hey, there are no more critical problems right now than, you know, net zero challenge than delivering social value. So how leaders become kind of passionate around that how they unlock talent to unlock those problems is it has to be part of the solution for me i don't think we've had that particular point being raised on any one of the interviews so far but it's such a big point this whole thing around social value and i think 
It, it has emerged over the last two years whilst we've been sitting and introspecting around the world and how, how, we, how we behave in the world. And social value, I think, is something big that's come out, as has you know, the climate impact and all of these kind of things. And that sort of forms part of it for me. So social values, you've said you know, leaders need to become more uh, passionate, impassioned by this. How do we do that? How do we how do we create more passionate leaders around things like social value, which will feed into our corporate social responsibilities, which many organisations, I thought, you know, traditionally have had as a, a bit of an add-on. What you're saying is really it's hardcore mainstream uh, business. Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of my uh, principles is, is always to be kind of curious. I think it's a kind of value. We need to be constantly curious and constantly learning. And the only way we do that is by... Well, for me, is by talking to people. We have different learning styles. Mine's very much an interactive learning style. But I find that, you know, learning from people, learning from their experiences, that's the thing that really helps me then to be better at, at kind of what I do. So getting into people's minds around their passions and their beliefs and why they think, how they think, I think that's really, really important if we are then to align and unlock those people and unlock that talent to solve some of these problems so you know i think as leaders we need to be you know yes it's people centric but we we have to then be interactive and curious and and make positive steps towards learning about people i think that the conference we met at i talked about you know the kind of lived experience from an edni perspective frankly as a kind of white man in my in the middle in my middle age you know I will learn most of my um, uh, most things about ED&I through talking to people about their lived experiences, and that will make me, you know, better able to uh, to help them and support them in their careers. You know what, David? You're absolutely right. But in order for that to happen, there needs to be another mindset shift for that leader. So let's assume that you've got a leader who wants to be now much more people centric, wants to learn from other people's experience in that, and that for me, what is true? What true? diversity is all about true diversity for me is not necessarily a, de- a demographic diversity it's a diversity of thought uh, that we allow people to come from different backgrounds different experiences and allow them to continue those experiences or continue to use those experiences to help the organization move forward and move away from groupthink and echo chambers but coming back to this leader the type of leader that you describe um which i absolutely agree with by the way um in order for that leader to be that leader, they have to have an acute level of self-awareness. You know, have be able to have a long, hard, honest look at themselves. And it's like the, the, the first quadrant of emotional intelligence. You know, this is all about emotional intelligence, it's about self-awareness. And only through talking to other people and learning from other people can you move into the next quadrant of self-management, where you start changing some of the ways that you've done things in order to, 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 to show up better. Um, that's a hard, hard ask for a lot of people, isn't it? To expose yourself to that level of self-awareness because it can be quite painful. I completely agree with you. And I know that, you know, my personal journey has been one that I think probably in the in the last four or five years, really, reflecting more on, you know, kind of my impacts on other people um, and trying to under, understand, you know, why people react in certain ways to the things you do, the things you say, um, I think that is so so important, um, you know. And I think on a on a that self awareness journey can kind of never stop. 
Um, I think it's something we need to kind of continue to strive for, you know, and become more aware, aware of our <laughs> our character flaws. Okay, we all have them. We all have those kind of unconscious things. The more that we're aware of them, the more that we can deal with them, and the more the way that you know. I think it's a, it has to be a continual journey. Uh, you're so right, and you know, in so many diversity circles. Uh, you know, I talk, uh, people talk to me about unconscious bias and um, in almost an accusatory kind of way, you know, mm. these people, this group has got these unconscious biases. But the truth of it is, is that all human beings have unconscious biases. It is it is by the fact of being human that we will have these perceptions, these thoughts. Uh, it, it's about not allowing those unconscious biases to translate into discriminatory behavior. That's the key for me. You know, we accept humans having these biases, whether they know of them or not. Uh, and the personal journey that the individual has to have is this constant self-growth, this constant self-reflection, this constant journey of uncomfortable journey sometimes of understanding who I am and where I'm coming from, where my thoughts and beliefs sometimes come from as well. Uh, and and it's not it's not necessarily a pleasant journey, but it's a it's a bit like coming out of your comfort zone. Being out of your comfort zone is uncomfortable by its very nature, but it also means that you're growing. One of the pieces of work that we've been doing um, has been around how we create psychologically safe environments to have some of these conversations, okay? So, and actually, I think, you know, to explore your own um, (laughs) challenges, flaws and things with others is a great way to kind of develop your, is a great way to develop yourself. You can only do that if you're going to be in a psychologically safe environment. You know, and, and yes, it, you know, you can you can extend that environment to lots of other issues and challenges that we need to talk about in businesses. But it's, I think particularly around self-awareness, it's one of those things that unless you can create it with your teams, with your line managers, your coaches, your mentors, whoever it is, it's a, such an important thing to do. And I think as leaders, we have a role in creating those psychologically safe environments and to a degree being the, you know some of the first people to step into those show some vulnerability you know and, and and talk about some of these issues these psychological safe environments as you call them um, I, i'm minded of a piece of work that i did with a university i was leading on a piece of work where they wanted to really talk about race and and it was just after the George Floyd uh, shooting and I was doing some work with them and we entitled the theme of the work, let's get comfortable talking about race. And, and I actually think that we need to get comfortable talking about the uncomfortable, whether it's yeah. race, whether it's sex, whatever it might be, let's get comfortable talking about the uncomfortable. And in order for us to have that, because when we have that, it basically means that we've got healthy conflict in the workplace, in our organisation, and that is fundamental to a healthy culture anyway. But in order for us to have this uh, healthy um, healthy conflict in the workplace, to have these, uh, you have to create that psychologically safe environment. But in order for to do that, you have to create, a, create a, a foundation of trust, I think. Because it's only when you have an environment of trust will people actually show up and think that they know that they are psychologically safe. So how do we create trust in any organisation? I mean, that's a big one. Right? And I know that you're not going to have all the answers uh, to the universal problems here, but what do you think? What are the key factors of creating trust in an organisation? Well, I think I mentioned, you know, I think one of the ones that is about um, showing some personal vulnerability. I think, you know, we have to be open 
about how we feel, okay? We have to, to kind of put yourselves out there. And I think being clear that actually we don't have all the answers, and, I, you know, come back to your kind of, you know, historical command and control leadership styles, it was that was a kind of society, a kind of culture where people were expected as leaders to have all the answers, and we don't. We're people, right? We don't have all the answers. We're human. So, you know, being open about some of those things and look to, you know, create the spaces where people can bring themselves, bring different ideas to the table, you know, don't kind of dismiss them out of hand. Let's explore those options. That is all part of creating environments where people feel safe to be able to give their point of view, to give their um, experiences, um, give their ideas. Uh, and, you know, sometimes there's some golden nuggets in those ideas. But unless you create the environment to have those conversations, it won't be there. So I do think, you know, we can really initiate that. We can send a, put a spark into those to create that that kind of in, in environment, um, hugely important, I think, if we're going to embrace, um, you know, embracing that variety of different views, is to deal with some of the things that I've talked about earlier on, particularly around not only in EDI but also in, sustain, in social value, sustainability, creating a space where you, where people can bring ideas, you know, explore ideas. One of the words that I hate, and it's kind of common language in many businesses, is is challenge. You know, I challenge this team. I challenge, you know, why, why do we have to challenge? Can't we just put a different perspective across? Here's an alternative view. Have we thought about this option? Right? We can, there's lots of ways that you can have conversations about alternatives and difference without being a, having a challenging mindset, I think. This is language that's grown up over, over the decades and goodness knows how long. And, and it's become like the norm, isn't it? It's almost like... If you're going to be a successful team or a successful leader, you have to have this kind of challenging mentality. Yeah. And and I think it almost takes us right back from almost the moment that we're compass mentors and we are able to understand the world around us. If you think about it, we are always we've always been taught to be competitive. You know, we compete with our siblings. Our parents will say, you know, the, the, the good sibling is the person that does A, B and C. You go to school and you're taught to compete against your peers and you go into an organization. You have to compete with other people to get promoted or recognized, etc., etc. Et so we have this like underlying self-belief that I have to compete. And you know what? When I came out of the police service after 32 years, having been in this competitive environment, one of the rules that I made for myself when I went into business, I am never going to look at the competition. I really don't care. I'm just going to follow my path. I'm going to enjoy the journey. And that has led to me having some incredible clients. And I really do not have to compete anymore. And Simon Sinek, in a, in a great book that he wrote called The Infinite Game. I don't know if you have you read that one. Yes. Uh, and it's a brilliant book. And he talks about this. And he talks about how when you have a finite mindset, you basically have this competitive mindset where you're always you're on a track and field race. Basically, you're always looking over your shoulder, seeing when the next person is so forth. And so, but when you get to the finishing line, what happens then? Is that it? Is that the end of your life? But the infinite leader is pretty much what you're describing, that constantly curious, constantly growing individual. And you're more focused on your own journey. But you know that by focusing on your own journey, you focus on the greater good as well. I'll give you a great analogy. Okay, yeah. so one of my other passions in life. So I do work with SAFA, the charity, and, and, and you know, that's great actually for grounding and, and great mm. for, for learning from people about personal situations. My other passion in life is martial arts. So I do Taekwondo, okay? And one of the great questions we ask 
um, prospective black belts is what's the difference between a martial artist and a sportsman? Okay, and the the answer is that a sportsman competes with others, and a martial artist competes with themselves. So we tell our students, you know, yeah, what we all all we ask for you is for your personal progression. Doesn't matter where how you compare to others, it's about your personal progression. And I think that's a, I, I love that. I love that about it because it's it's not about compete pitching people against each other. It's about personal development and about personal journey, and you know, bringing that to your to your life. And I think that's I think it's a really interesting point. I, I think it's brilliant, uh, and 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 you can see that philosophy coming through martial arts because there's almost this focus on inner growth, humility, and almost this focus around martial arts is not about self-defense or attack. It's about you having self-discipline. It is fundamentally about that. And some of the greatest athletes in the world will, if you speak to them, they will say, I am competing against me. I want to be the better than the person I was yesterday. So I completely understand that mindset, and it's one that I'm happy to adopt. Can you imagine if we had this mindset adopted across teams in our organizations where everybody was working towards the same common goal and HR were not just focusing on HR, IT weren't just focusing on IT and so forth and so on and so on. And everybody's working towards that common goal with this team mentality and and, 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 and non-competitive spirit. And also to create that environment where you could talk about the uncomfortable stuff that you're talking about, you know? Uh, that I mean, that for me, surely that would be like the ideal culture in an organisation. Absolutely. And I think to deal with, you know, we talk about the new normal. I'm now interested in what the next normal is, because there'll be another change, right? Yeah. There'll be, there'll be something else down the road that's challenging us. We can't, we all think that we're going to, people talk about getting back to normal. Like, it's, it's not going to be like that, is it? We're in, a, we're in a world now, volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous. It's going to change. So those teams are going to be far more adaptable, far more flexible. The collaboration that you can build means that when they're hit with external challenges and problems... They can flex and they can adapt and they can deal with it. And I think when you're in in that kind of non-collaborative space, when perhaps your organisations are a little bit stovepiped, or you know people aren't don't have the safe spaces to bring new ideas and to and to talk to each other about alternative options, you're not going to have flexibility and agility to deal with the challenges of let of tomorrow, let alone of today, let alone of the challenges we can see today around. You know, how we work post-pandemic, how do we better include um, people in, in our organisations, deal with sustainability, deal with social value. You know, those are massive challenges. So it's, it's an, I think it's an imperative for us, Cole. One of the leadership traits that we need to develop and, and hold really strongly at that very core is this strength in adaptability and agility. Uh, and you're right. This isn't the first. Uh, this isn't the first time that we've had landmark changes. You know, huge sweeping changes. Don't forget 2008 with the, with the financial crisis that rocked the world. Yeah. You know, it was a global crisis then, and a lot of things changed as a, as a result of that. The pandemic has brought in an, an awful lot of changes, but different changes. And there will be something coming along in the future. I am sure that will require us to be even more adaptable. And I'm always minded of this, <laughs> this quote. I absolutely love this quote. It's uh, Charles Darwin. And it's a very simple definition of what uh, evolution is. 
He said it's not the strongest of the species that survives nor the most intelligent. It's the one that is more able to adapt. And I think that is it. That, that's the evolution for you right there. And if, if organizations, and I've got so many examples that come to mind, so many examples of organizations that haven't adapted in the past and then have suffered big organizations like Blockbusters, for example. You know, when Netflix came along, they were only a, a scrappy little uh, a company was worth a, a few million. Blockbusters was like several billion. And Netflix actually approached Blockbusters and said, hey, why don't we digitize all your films? And Blockbusters were like, well, why would we partner with you? You're too small. And then look what happened only five or six years later. You know, it was the other way around. So this this lack of adaptability in organizations, this lack of adaptability in leadership can actually have dire consequences for an organization. So I think as a as a way of surviving in this ever-changing VUCA world that you're talking about, I think adaptability has to be at the very, very heart. And part of that is understanding that priorities are going to shift. Priorities around what is it our workforce are looking for in our organization? What kind of an organization would they want to stay in uh, so that we're not bleeding talent? What kind of uh, philosophies or needs are there and social change is a big one climate change is coming along and it's it's it's, it's it, i think it's really ramped up this year so there's so many different things that are coming along that if we're not alive to them and we're not pivoting around that as leaders uh, we're going to suffer dire consequences and we may end up suffering the fate of many many big organizations that have not adapted before no i i think you're absolutely right um and atkins is part of a big group called SNC Lavalan, you know, as you say, you know, multinational organization. And this is right on top of our agenda at the moment. How do we create those adaptable organizations? We talk a lot about servant leadership. So how do the leaders become the people that are unlocking the, the potential in the organization? And we have to do that. And we have to create those, those um, different ways of working to be able to adapt to collaborate globally we can no longer sit in just in our in our regions you know we're, we're great aren't we we're great as the human species are great at kind of going out going to a tribe right this is my tribe you know and I, yeah tribe mentality yeah no, no, i don't want, to, don't want to collaborate with those guys in the next valley you know but we, we have to do that we have to kind of break down some of those silos and find ways that will work because you know we will need to learn from each other globally as well as um locally if we're going to succeed. So no, I completely agree with you. So I, I mean, I call that the collective survival strategy. I think that's where we need to be as a world. We need to, we need to understand that we need to work uh, together with other people if we want to move further, further or survive longer uh, because we are in a world that's uh, ever changing uh, and changing at an increasingly rapid uh, you know, pace. And therefore, we need that collaborative approach with other people so we can bounce ideas and pull our strengths together to move forward. Uh, but we'll only do that do that if we change, challenge some of the, <laughs> using the word challenge, but challenge some of the existing thoughts or past thoughts that we had around what is leadership. Leadership is not about you having all the answers to everything. That's not an expectation of a leader. Leadership is not all about you having to be in a command and control position. There are times when you need to be command and control, you know, when there's rapid decision-making uh, to be done, when, when things need to move on, when there's life and death decision to be made. 
But actually, most of the time, we can take, take a foot off the accelerator pedal and think leadership through in a wholly different way, using different leadership styles. Uh, and leadership, for me, uh, healthy leadership, as you quite rightly said, is about being human and recognizing that uh, we don't have some kind of mantle of force field around us as leaders, but we're actually just human beings uh, in a performance, performing a task of service. And I love the phrase servant leadership because for what, what it says for me is that we're actually serving the people that we're supposed to be leading. And if we serve them right, they will serve our clients right. And the whole of the organization moves forward collectively. There's all these old adages, isn't there? And I love old adages because actually there's so much truth in them, you know. And it is really about simplifying and breaking things down from the complex into the very simple, isn't it? As businesses, we'll kind of wrap all those objectives up in strategy. We'll launch our strategy. But our big challenge is, is execution. And execution comes through having the people aligned and bought into and passionate about the organisational goals, which I think wraps up, you know, so much of what we've talked about, uh, you know, uh, uh, during this session. And I think so much of that needs to now be within the corporate strategy, within our corporate plans and missions. We need to build this in. And that's, that's the only way we'll take our people uh, on the journey. I'm going to put you on the spot a bit here now. Um, just before we go, if there were top three things, let's assume that there's a, a chief executive of a large organization. I mean, I think you can speak from a position of strength, 50,000 people in 50 countries. I mean, if, if anyone's going to be challenged, an organization like, uh, like Atkins is going to be challenged, what would be the top three things that you advise any CEO that is passionate about getting current with what leadership should be all about. They want to challenge the existing sort of views on leadership. What would be the top three tips that you would recommend? It's a great question. If I look back over kind of my career and I was to talk to the, you know, the, the, the young man in his 20s just kind of coming into the world of work, I'd be saying, you know, be bold and be curious, but care more. Right. I think we need to I think we need to care more. I think we need to be curious. But look, you know, that's, that doesn't mean we can't be ambitious. So let's be ambitious. You know, but let's include people and take them on that journey. You've cheated a bit. You've given four there. <laughs> but, but they're all good. <laughs> they're a great four. I'm going to go with that. We'll call it the fantastic four. So it's Brilliant. be bold, be curious, be caring and be ambitious. Is that right? Got all of them. Bold and ambitious are the same thing for me, mate. So it was three. It was three. <laughs> okay. We'll let you off with that one. But you're absolutely right. And I think, you know, the fact that you are able to simplify them to that level demonstrates that leadership should not have to be about complexity. Actually, my belief is the more senior you become as a leader, the more simple you have to start thinking because it really is about having your fingers on the pulse of your organization. It really is about understanding the people in your organization. And it really is about creating the right environment where people feel appreciated, heard, seen and valued. Uh, David, thank you so much for taking time out. I know that you're so busy and uh, I look forward to releasing this episode because it, there's been so much value in it. Thank you so much. And thank you, Cole. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do subscribe and click on notifications for new content. And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. Take care. Have a great day.